Go ahead and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to skip a little bit and read verses 12 through 17. I want to go ahead and invite Beth up. Beth is going to read for us out of God's Word. I want to encourage you, invite you to stand with me out of respect for God's Word as it is read, being reminded that what we're reading is not Beth's words, it's not my words. This is the Word of God given to us, revealed um, for us uh, as God's people. So, Beth, I'll pass it off to you. Good morning, church family. Our text today is Revelations 2, 1 through 7, and 12 through 17. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who have called themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to, hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name, written on the stone that no one knows except one who receives it. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Beth. Appreciate that. So we're entering into uh, the letters to the seven churches, and we've got this broken up because it's just too much for us to try to cover um, uh, in, in one week. And so we're, we're looking at the churches of Ephesus and Pergamum today. Uh, we're looking at the churches of of Smyrna, and I think it was Thyatira or Sardis, and, uh, next week, and then the last three uh, the week after that. But uh, as we do so, I want to start us off with a quote out of a book called Discipleship on the Edge. I've already quoted it a couple times in our series, and we'll probably quote it a lot more because I love uh, Daryl Johnson and the things that he has to say. But he says this in his book, it turns out that the seven churches of Asia embody every major issue with which the church has struggled in every age and in every cultural setting. I love that quote. 
It's a reminder for us that what we're hearing is for us. We have to start here because coming to the letters of the seven churches, it's easy for us to look at the others, isn't it? Like, like it's easy for us to look at other churches, other generation. Like, I don't know if you're ever tempted to that. It's easy for us every time we come to the Word to open up the Word and see everybody else in the, the, the admonitions of the Word. It's easy to see all of the different things that everyone else should do and not see ourselves. And this is a call for us to be reminded that what we're reading in the book of Revelation to these specific churches isn't just for one or two or you know, here or there, but this is for all the church. These are temptations for all of the church. It's even easy for us to pick out which one we think is most like us, right? So we read something like the church of Laodicea, which we didn't read this morning. We'll read later on, but we see that they were wealthy and that they were rich and that they were struggling because they didn't, they didn't realize their spiritual poverty. And we go, oh, like that's us right there because, because we're an American. So that's the one we need to pay attention to. The reality of it is, no, we need to pay attention to all of them. And there's a real temptation. There's a real chance that there is in us some of these things. And we said this last week. This is for all of the church at every point in history. These letters are written to the seven physical churches, but they're written for you and me right here in 2023. So we have to approach these things with the reality that these temptations are real for us. And we also need to see, as we come to these letters, an understanding, a commonality and something that Jesus says over and over again, which reminds us of what his intent is. And we see it right there in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. These words should stick out to you. I know. I know. What Jesus is saying is not a guess. It's not something that, uh, that he's just now discovering. Like He knows. These are going to be words that are repeated every single time we come to a letter in, in, in the book of Revelation. I know. Just like we discussed last week, he is the one who is in the midst of his church. And he knows us corporately. He knows us individually. We cannot hide. We cannot fool him. He knows. He knows you. He knows me, he knows your family, he knows Central, right here, right now. As I come to this and I hear that and I see that Jesus knows, and he says that in every single one and to every single one of these seven churches, what's most terrifying to me in each of these, he knows something they don't seem to know. He sees something they don't seem to see, especially in Ephesus and Pergamum, and the three other churches that are criticized or corrected by the Lord, like these are believers. These are lampstands. And yet, they are delusional about their own faithfulness. They think they're killing it. They think they've got it. They think they're fine. And we have to be willing to hear this because one of the greatest dangers that we face is delusion that we are okay and listen, friends, if this was a danger 
for the churches 90 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. The same churches that had the very apostles that walked with Jesus, teaching them, leading them, develop leaders and elders within those churches. If this is a temptation for them, how much more of a temptation is it for us 2,000 years later? Like they were right there. This is just 90 years later. And even for them, they're delusional at times about their own faithfulness and what they see and how they see themselves. They think they're okay. And so before we ever get to what is actually spoken to Ephesus and to Pergamum and to the others, we have to ask the question, are we willing to acknowledge or to open ourselves up to the possibility that we too might be delusional? about our own faithfulness. Now, that's a hard statement, isn't it? Like, are we open to even see that and to acknowledge that might just be possible for all of us, not just individually, but our families and for us as a corporate church? Lewis reminded me of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. It said, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. Will we listen to counsel? See, each of these churches believed they were doing what was right in their own eyes. This is something we can all fall prey to. I love a prayer in Daryl Johnson's book. As he was getting into this topic, he says this, Lord, look at me. That's a scary request, isn't it? Look at me. Look into me. Shine your purifying light and burn off all that keeps me from you and your wholeness. Are we willing as a church, as families, as individuals, to pray that prayer? Look at me. Look into me. What do you know of me? Not what do I think about myself, but what do you know to be true of me? And then we see... In this, the very beginning of this letter, something that is repeated in each of the letters to the seven churches at the very end of each one of them, we see it in chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Each of them are called to hear, and each of them are called with the desire to conquer. He who has ears... He who has ears. Will we have ears to hear? These are revelations that come from knowledge. Revelations that come from the Spirit and revelations for the churches. Not just for Ephesus, but for us. And we must respond to them. I don't even say this. As you're hearing and as you're about to hear all these things, you will respond to them. Every single time you open up the Word of God, you are going to respond to the Word of God. Every time. Whether you do it intentionally or not. So here's the thing. Some of us in this room, some of you who are here, and you don't, you don't believe any of this. You don't believe in Jesus. You never put your faith in Jesus. And you're going to hear the things that we're going to preach and teach. And you're going to hear the things that it's in God's words. And your heart is going to be hardened. And you are going to respond by saying, I want to have nothing to do with it. That is a response. 
you are responding. Some in this room, some listening online, some of you are here, and and you think that you're Christians, you believe that you're in Jesus Christ, and you're going to hear these things, and it's going to frustrate you, it's going to make you angry, and be like, well, I didn't come to church to be corrected, I came to be encouraged, right? And say, how dare they? Like, this isn't right. And you're going to justify all the reasons why that's not you. And you're going to look at all the other people around you and be like, I could see that in them and I can see that in them, but that's not me. And so you're going to refuse to acknowledge it. You're going to refuse to see the things that are there. You are responding to the word. You're responding to the spirit as he speaks and as he calls. Others in the room, others as we read the scriptures, will give attention to it. We might be encouraged by it. We might feel like, okay, the Lord's encouraging me and I'm doing my best and I feel like, 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 like I'm encouraged that I'm on the right path and you're going to be stirred to deeper growth and, and deeper dependence upon the Lord. Others, you're going to hear the things that we see and you're going to recognize that you've backslidden. And you're going to see something maybe for the first time and for you, you're going to repent. And you're going to turn and you're going to say, Lord, I don't want to be that way anymore. And you're doing what we talked about at the very beginning of the sermon series. You're listening with intent. Like, I want to change. I want to be different. I want to keep these things. I want to be faithful. And the beauty of that is, and the text we get in this, is that for those that respond in the positive way, those that respond in a way that actually creates action in their lives, those that are willing to see themselves and actually let the Lord speak in their lives, examine them, and reveal things to them, for those who hear, there's a promise. And what is that promise? that you will conquer. You and I will conquer. This is the goal of these specific letters and the letter as a whole, to encourage us, to reveal to us that we might conquer so that we might overcome, so that we would not be defeated. The enemy does not want this for us. He doesn't. Our flesh does not want this for us. Anybody else feel that? It's just me. My flesh doesn't like that. The enemy wants us to stay in states of delusion. He wants us to stay apathetic. He wants us to stay in a place where we don't see the truth about ourselves. And Jesus, the one who is in our midst, he loves us enough to say, I know. I see you and I see some good things in you, but I have this against you. And you can hear that, and you can hear judgment, and you can hear all kinds of things. But listen, these criticisms, they are not given out of anger, and they are not given out of someone who's raised their hands up in in just uh, like frustration, being like, whatever, this is the last chance I'm giving them. Like, I just don't like these people, and so I'm just going to give them this last chance of criticism. Now, these criticisms are coming from the one who knows and the one who wants to see so that we can overcome. This is love. This is not judgment. It is not anger. It is not uh, sickening, uh, looking at us with like a sickness and frustration. It's love. The worst thing that we can do is see someone going down a path that is going to lead to death and us just say, well, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings. No, no, love is to tell them. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants us. He wants our church He wants our families. He wants our kids. He wants you. He wants me. He wants us all to conquer sin and death and this world and Satan. Amen? That's what he wants. I 
Um, I'm going to stop at this point. And I talked to a few this morning. Um, I, I knew when I got to this point in the sermon that I was either going to keep talking about Ephesus and Pergamum um, or I was going to shift away and I was going to um, speak out of what I just feel like the Lord has been laying on my heart over the past, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 hours. And so from here on out, for our team back in the back that's doing the slides, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, if you've got version open up right now and you're like, okay, we're getting ready to talk about Ephesus and Pergamum, like, you can just put it away. Um, and you can just listen because we're not going in that direction at all. And, and the reason why is because as I thought about this and I thought and prayed about what we're about to see, that, that Jesus in the book of Revelation is trying to reveal to the churches things that they are delusional about, things that they don't recognize, things that they, they, they don't see, things that they've gotten trapped into, areas in which they, they just they think they're good, but they're, they're not they're not good. And he's trying to reveal that to him. When I thought about that, and I thought about that more and more and more, I got to this question, and a lot of it was just even in my own heart, how can we come to the Lord and say, I want you to reveal things in me that I'm not aware of when there's so many of us that are aware of things that we're not doing in accordance with God's ways, and we don't care. And we don't repent. And we let it be present. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And I've got some notes, but there's going to be a lot of just trying to be led by the Spirit. And so I'm, I'm going to pray real quick because I know um, I always need the Spirit, but particularly in this. So pray with me. Father, um, I know you're in preparation. Um, I know every time one of us stands up here, I, I know that whether it's myself or or Lewis, or we, or David, or any of our guys, Lord, I know that each of us is coming to you, and we're asking that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would speak through us, because we all recognize that we are not sufficient. And yet there's times where you take us outside of our preparation, and you, you call us to something else. You call us to speak something else. You call us to share outside of that. And Lord, in that moment, we are even more aware, and even in this morning, I'm more aware of my insufficiency. And so, Father, I just pray, I plead with you in the next couple of moments that you would speak through me, that your spirit would guide me, that your spirit would lead me. Father, that you wouldn't allow me to say anything out of my foolish humanity or my um, sin in my own heart or my own life, but Father, you would help um, me to decrease that you might increase. That's my heart. That's my desire. And so, Father, just give this time to you. Ask that you would lead. Ask that you would give me your strength and your voice. I pray these things in your name. Amen. How can we ask God to reveal things in us that we're unaware of when we, one, already know that we have sin in our lives? We already know we have sin in our lives that we're not dealing with. I know that everybody in this room would say at some level, I'm not perfect. And I also know that there's many people in this room that use that in some respects as a way to just be like, but I'm just going to live the life the way that God is, the, the way that I, I, I kind of am and, and, and just kind of do the things that I am going to do. 
and you know there's things in your life that you know are not pleasing to the Lord, and yet you won't deal with them, or you don't take them very seriously. And then there's others in this room, and I know you're here, and you came into this morning, and you just feel flat out defeated, like you feel fully aware of your sin. You look at yourself in the mirror, and you look at yourself as a wretch, and you feel like you're never going to get defeat or victory over those things, whatever it is you're fighting. And so I know there's people in this room that are on all aspects of that that, that spectrum. There's some of you in this room, you don't even care about sin. You think it's all a crock. You think it's all hogwash and none of it matters. And, and you can just do whatever you want. And that, that ultimately, that you're the God of your universe. You're the God of your life. And you can live however you want and you don't need to worry. And so I get it. As we talk about sin and we talk about what's in our lives, like I understand that there's all kinds of things that can kind of make us resistant to talk about that. And my hope and my desire is here this morning. If you're the one that feels defeated as we talk about sin and we talk about that which many of us carry in our lives right now, in this moment, that you don't feel more defeated because at the end of the time, my hope is to give us hope. Because no Christian should ever walk out of the church without hope, no matter how much sin they are in the midst of. Because Christ is sufficient. His blood is sufficient sufficient. But there's some of you, there's some of us who don't take our sin seriously at all. We don't take our sin seriously at all. And we know it's there, but we justify it. We don't think about it. It doesn't weigh upon us. We don't feel convicted about it. And that's what I want to talk to us about this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you, and and, um, if not, that's okay. It's not going to be on the screen, so you'll have to listen. um, But I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. This is not going to be something that is unfamiliar for most of us in this room, but this this is the Ten Commandments that God has given to his people. Now, this is the Ten Commandments that he gave to his people beforehand, but if you know much about the law and you know much about what God has given to us in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were not given to us so that we could be perfect, because none of us can. In fact, Paul makes it very clear that when pressed with the Ten Commandments, all I find is that the sin that's in me just gets more powerful. In some respects, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the, right, the idea, right? They, that I didn't know what covetousness was until the law told me what covetousness was, and then the sin in me just ran with that. The Ten Commandments are intended to be a mirror for us, to help us to see our need for the Lord, to help us to see how far we've come away from the Lord. And so I, I want to walk through some things because my hope is, is to help you and I and us see in our own hearts and lives areas that we may already be aware of that he has clearly called us against. So verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything that is heaven or above or on earth that is beneath. And some of us would say, I've never done that. But I would dare say that all of us are tempted to idolatry. Are we not? We are tempted to worship what we see in the mirror. We are tempted to worship money. We are tempted to worship our comforts. We are tempted to worship our own wisdom. We are tempted to worship our own value. We are tempted to worship other people 
We are tempted to worship anything and everything under the sun. And my guess is there's people in this room right now, you know you are worshiping something before you worship the Lord. I I know it in my heart. Like you feel it. You know it because you run to it for refuge. You run to it for satisfaction. You run to it for joy. You run to it for value. You run to it to make yourself feel better. Like that's what it is to worship something. You serve it. Him, her, whatever it is. But it doesn't just stop there. He goes on, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we think to ourselves, oh, well, have I ever cussed? Well, listen, that's not ultimately what this means, although I think that's important. Is that clearly, we're not to say Jesus' name in vain, but even more so, have you taken his name upon yourself in vain? Meaning, as you walk out of this room, if you have declared yourself to be a believer in Jesus Christ, a brother and sister in Jesus Christ, you bear the name of Jesus And the question is, as you walk out into this world and as you live in this world, do you carry that name in vain? Do you mar it by your actions? Do you mar it by the things you say, the things you do, the things that you think about when no one else is around? Are you bearing his name well? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And we don't really do that as much anymore. But nonetheless, it still goes back to that issue of worship. Are you worshiping other things and putting other things before the Lord and other things before his commands? Maybe it's sports. I know I shouldn't say that on the Super Bowl, right? I shouldn't say it wearing socks that have Patrick Mahomes' face on it. Right? But nonetheless, like this is the reality for us, isn't it? Like there's all kinds of things we can put before him. Going on, he says, honor your father and your mother. There are some of you right now that are young people and you rebel and you fight and you, you push against your parents at everything that they say and they do. That is sin. It's flat out sin. You say, well, I don't agree with them. They don't understand me. God doesn't care. They are your mother and your father. You are to honor them. And listen, if you are walking in rebellion, you are walking in anger, you are walking in hatred, then man, like you need to be understanding that you are walking in sin. You shall not murder. I doubt any of you in here have murdered someone, like physically, but Jesus makes it very clear. If you hate someone, it's just like murdering them. Some of you feel hate towards other people. You feel anger towards other people in that way. You want harm to come to other people. And you know it, and you're okay with it. You can justify it. Well, they hurt me, so it's okay for me to hate them. They don't understand me, so it's okay for me to hate them. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus again says, anyone who looks upon a woman with lust in his heart is guilty of adultery. There are men and women all over this room this morning are committing adultery and you know it with the things you watch on tv things you look at in the internet 
the thoughts you allow to stir in your mind when someone passes by your way, and you know it. And again, some of you feel defeated by it, but that's where you are. You shall not steal. You say, I've never stolen anything. I never took anything from Walmart. But maybe you were like me, and when you worked at McDonald's and they said you could have six Chicken McNuggets for free, you threw a couple extras in there and thought, ah, it's a big company, they don't care. That's stealing. Maybe it's cheating on your taxes. Maybe it's pushing something away. Maybe it's not having integrity. But like, there's all kinds of ways to engage that in your business, in your life. You shall not bear false witness. You may have no problems saying things that is not true as long as it protects you. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. And we live in a society that is literally built on this. Let me show you all the things you don't have. And we don't see this as sin. We're just okay with it because it's consumerism. And when we watch all the commercials on the Super Bowl today, we don't realize that what it's doing to us is generating covetousness on us, in us. And we don't even think about it. We don't even act like it matters. And it's not just that. Go to Galatians chapter 5. There's more. Galatians chapter 5. Another list. Now the works of the flesh, they're evident. There's sexual immorality. There's impurity. There's sensuality. There's idolatry. There's sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, the things of these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers, here's my point of saying all these different things, and I pray and I hope that you've heard, even in your own heart, you know these things. My my prayer is that you recognize this stuff is serious. It's not a game. It is not a game. You know how little of a game it is? Look at Mark. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus says this, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. I just want to stop about that. You think Jesus takes sin serious? He is saying it is better for you to tie a stone around your neck and be drowned than for you to be the cause of somebody else to sin. So think about what you eat, think about what you drink, husbands, fathers, wives, moms. Like, are you causing your kids to sin by what you watch? Are you causing your kids to sin by the things you listen to in their presence? Are you causing your kids to sin by how you treat your spouse? Listen, are you causing other people to sin by what you wear as you seek to draw attention to your body instead of your soul? Like, are you causing other people to sin? You don't think Jesus cares about this? We'll continue to see what it looks. He says, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Listen, Jesus isn't actually saying to dismember your body. He is saying, this is serious. And you're playing around with it. And if you know it's in you and you don't care and there's no conviction of sin in your heart because of what's there, like you should be concerned because look what Jesus says next. You'll be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you be made salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Jesus says, if you don't take your sin serious, you will be thrown into a place where the worm does not die and the fire does not quench. Now we're going to talk about hell and we're going to talk about judgment later in Revelation. But listen, we are called to take our sin serious. And I just, as I was reading through this text, and as I always try to do, I want to apply it to myself first. I felt the weight of in many areas of my life, not taking the sin I already know is there, very serious. How can I then ask him to reveal more to me? How can I ask him to then show me things I'm not aware of when there's stuff in my life I, I'm fully aware of? And listen, like I might feel some conviction about it, but often I don't go over after my sin, not like this. I might kind of make some platitudes and say, oh, like I feel bad about this, but, but man, do I, do I attack it? Am I willing to kill it in me because I recognize the danger that it has for us? Now listen, I know myself. Now, I don't know, there's a lot of things about my sin I don't like. I don't like to feel guilty. I don't like consequences. I don't like the fear that it makes me feel at times. But at the end of the day, I also know that I can quickly forget about all that stuff and just go about my day. And I think about it as a dad in my own life, in my own home, like, have I led my kids well? And it's really easy for us to say, well, yeah, but I do it better than those people. None of that matters. If there's sin in you, kill it. It will lead to your death if you don't. Are you at peace with your sin? You do enough just to avoid the consequences, but you're at peace with it. You justify why it's okay for you. I'm tired, and it's not that big of a deal, and I don't mind what I watch because it doesn't really affect me that much. I don't mind what I listen to because it really doesn't affect me that much. I deserve this. Are you at peace with your sin? Listen, I hope you know my heart, even in this, as I look at myself in the mirror, it is not to try to make anybody here feel guilty, nor am I trying to scare you into faithfulness. 
but I do think many of us need conviction. I think many of us need to be open to the Spirit of God convicting us so that he can heal and deliver us. There's a difference between guilt and conviction. And some of you have felt guilt for your sin. You feel guilt because you got caught. You feel guilt because of the consequences. You feel guilt because, man, you just kind of know you're not supposed to do it, but you keep going about it anyway. Conviction is different. And here's how it's different. Conviction draws you to the Savior. Guilt draws you away from the Savior. Conviction over your sin makes you run to Jesus and say, I can't do this by myself. I can't fight this by myself. I can't engage this by myself. This is going to lead to my death, and I have no way out from outside from underneath it. I'm enslaved to it. I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I have no other hope. Guilt makes you run away from him into your own efforts to make yourself feel better, to avoid the consequences. We're to run to him, not away from him. I will say this to those of you that are in this room right now and you feel defeated by your sin. In other words, you know that some of those things are in you. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's covetousness. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's the praise of men. Maybe it's putting something above the Lord that you know you've been doing, but you just kind of have been putting that off or not worried about it, but yet, nonetheless, maybe you feel really defeated by that. You're like, man, this thing just keeps haunting me and I can't get away from this. Man, you constantly feel the thirst for it. And yet you feel convicted. Here's what I would say to you. I would encourage that your conviction of sin is evidence of the Spirit of God in you. So be grateful for that conviction. But I warn you, don't harden your heart to that conviction. Like conviction is good. If you have no conviction, if I read through all of these things this morning and you sit there thinking to yourself, I'm good, you should say, woe is you. Because that means the Spirit of God isn't in you in a sense. And, and like, listen, like, like, there is none of us who do not have sin in us. Scripture is blatantly clear about that. None of us are okay. And yet... The gospel tells us that all who are in Jesus are blameless before the Lord. We kind of live in this weird space. But conviction of sin is evidence the Spirit of God is in us, leading us, moving us. And listen, brothers and sisters, here's oftentimes what we often forget is that Jesus came to save us from our sin. This is what the angel told Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't just come to save you from the wrath of God. He came to free you from your sin. He came to free you from your envy that enslaves you. He came to free you from your discontentment that is enslaving you. He came to free you from your addiction to alcohol that he came to to take away. He wants to free you from. He came to free you from your anger and every other sin that we've mentioned in this. He came to release you from that 
to save you from that, that you might find flourishing instead of slavery. But we have to be willing to acknowledge it and repent of it and come to him so he can work in us. We have to be willing to confess it and to care about it like it matters, because it does. It matters a lot. And if you know there's sin in you, and man, you're just like living in it, like there is tremendous danger for you. And I just, man, I felt so much that we had to say that before we can get to, hey, Lord, would you make me aware of anything I don't see? Let's kill what we do see. Let's take care of what we do see. Let, let, let's, let's, let's go even a step further and let's bring out of the darkness into light the stuff that you've been hiding. The stuff that you know is present and you're too ashamed to let anybody know it's there and so it owns you. It owns your thoughts. It owns the way you see the world. It owns what you do in this world. It owns how you see how other people react to you and talk to you. It owns you. When I started to feel like the Lord was leading me to share some of these things, I just felt like it was important for us to speak some truth for those who are sinners. Every one of you. Every one of us. For those who are sinners, who are willing to look in the mirror and see their sin, no matter how bad it is, no matter how dirty it is, no matter how yucky it is, no matter how much you feel like everybody else would judge you, for those who are willing to see it, to acknowledge it, and to say you hate it, and you're going to fight against it, and you're going to fight so hard, it's like you're going to cut your hand off. You're going to fight so hard, you're willing to die to all of those things in you that so much want you to listen to the hope. In him, you and I have redemption through what? His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You know how rich his grace is? A whole lot bigger than your sins. A whole lot bigger than your sins. For you, this is Psalms 85, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. Does it say some of their sin? All their sin. Everything you've done, will do in the future, all of it is covered under the same thing, the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalms 103 my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He doesn't want us to sin, but when you do sin, you have an advocate for you. But here's the part that we, care, that we struggle with. There is a provided Statement. There's a if-then statement. This requires something of you, and it requires something of me to be able to access into these things. And it's this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Man, some of you, do you, do you want to just be cleansed? Like cleansed? You will not be cleansed if you continue to live in full awareness of the sin that you have right now in you. Hebrews makes it really clear that if you continue to sin deliberately, knowing full well that it's there, not caring about the sin, all the while proclaiming Jesus, 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 then you are trampling upon the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. That's hard. But some of us need to hear it. Some of you need to hear this morning that just because you have some affinity to Jesus doesn't mean that you have salvation in Jesus. Some of us need to be reminded that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He knows all that, which is why he says also that he so loved us that he sent his only son to die for us. Every one of us will respond to these things. Every one of us will respond to it. You will respond by saying, I didn't come to church for this today. This isn't what I wanted. I wanted to walk out of here feeling like joyful and jazzed and energized and I feel convicted and you walk out angry and frustrated. Some of you will walk out justifying yourself. Yes, but. I know, but. I know that I'm living with my boyfriend and girlfriend, but they don't know my circumstance. They don't know what's going on. They don't really understand what's happening. I, I, I know that I'm addicted to pornography, but they don't really understand. I, I'm single, and this is just fine. I, I know that I have a lot of pride in me, but man, you just don't understand. Like I came from some really hard places, and that, that helps encourage me and give me confidence. I, I know that I have a problem with alcohol, but I only get drunk sometimes. I, I know that I'm not supposed to do things that cause other people to stumble, but, but, but that's their problem. And you'll respond by justifying and making it okay and walk out unchanged, unsaved, undelivered, in fear. Some go, I've done this before. I've lost and I've fallen and I've fallen and I've fallen and I've fallen and I don't feel like I can get up again and I'm tired and to you the gospel says his grace is sufficient keep fighting keep fighting get around brothers and sisters to help you confess those things to keep you accountable but keep fighting that conviction is there is because the spirit of God is there so keep fighting be encouraged the grace of God is sufficient for you you and I we will all respond 
to looking at ourselves through the eyes of the word of God, will you respond in a way that will lead you to Jesus or respond in a way that will lead you to death? That's the gospel. And we all need the gospel sometimes. And so here's what I want to do this, this morning as we close our time. I want you to just um, bow your heads, close your eyes. You don't need to look around. This is just, I want you to be with the Lord for the next couple of moments. And I'm not going to invite pastors and elders and prayer counselors up because you know what? Pastors and elders and prayer counselors need to do this too. But I want to give you a couple minutes. You know whether or not you've been faithful. So have you put anything in your life before your Savior and your King? Stuff, sports, safety, your pride. Are you living in a world right now where you are full of discontentedness, covetousness? Envy, jealousy. I wish my life could be a little better. If I only had this, it would all be okay. If I only had him, it would be okay. If I only had her, it would be okay. Like, if you do have these things, like, you need to... You need to respond with something. Like you're just going to live in it? Have you walked in lust this week? This is not, by the way, just for men or young boys. Have you walked in hatred this week? Are you walking in it right now? Have you dishonored your mother and your father and the authorities of the people that have been put in, your, in place above you? Are you causing strife? Are you causing division? Husbands, are you loving your wife the way Christ loved the church? Joyfully laying down all you need to for her good. Wives, are you doing the same? Are you submitting to your husbands? 
singles, are you walking in purity? Are you seeking his kingdom first? Are you entrenched in a whole slew of lies that you can't get yourself out of because you're afraid that if the truth comes out, your life will completely be destroyed? If any of those things that I mentioned or anything else comes to your mind, I then ask this. Will you see your danger, the enslavement of your sin, and go to war against it? Or will you make peace with it? I want to encourage you that if you want to make war against it, you want to say, I'm, I'm, enough is enough. And I, I want to go war against every single sin that is in me, that is hindering me, that is keeping me from following Jesus, that is keeping me from running to him. I want to go to war against all of it. I want to be free from the fear of judgment. I want to be free from the fear that, that I will stand before him one day. I want to be free from the fear that he doesn't listen to me because I've done too much. I want to be free from uh, my fear that he doesn't care about me, that he's angry with me, that he's frustrated with me. You want to be free from all those things? Confess your sin right now to him. I want to, I want to encourage you everybody with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, but I want to encourage you that if that's you and you're confessing before the Lord something in your heart right now, would you just raise your hand? Like what matters is what you're confessing to him. That's what matters. But sometimes we need to do something physical to be, they just make a physical confession. Like we are one of those. Listen, I have nothing more to say to you who have your hands raised other than to say that he came to save you from that very sin that you hate. I have nothing more to say to you than his word that says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just, and he's going to forgive you. He will cleanse you from your unrighteousness. You can put your hands down. We're going to move into a time of communion. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite David up. He's going to lead us in a time of communion. And as he comes, I want to encourage you this morning that as we come to the table, no matter how bad your sins are, no matter how defeated you feel this morning, the hope is that in Christ we can come to the table and abide in his love and his surpassing grace, his surpassing and steadfast love for us and faithfulness. And we can trust and rest in him. 
And I just want to say one last thing. If you're here and you have hardened your heart today, and you know there is sin in your life, and you will not bend your knee, I plead with you to understand that Jesus has said that for you who will refuse to bend your knee, you who will refuse to confess your sin, you who will refuse to run to the sufficient grace of Jesus Christ and the blood that he has given to you, then for you, there will be judgment. Don't let that be the case for you. Repent and believe in Jesus. And if you want to talk to someone this morning, like as we end our time in communion and as then Ryan will come out and lead us in one last song, man, we're going to be up at the front. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd, want to, we'd love to walk with you because you don't have to walk alone.